On the Healthy Human Revolution podcast, Dr. Lori Marbus interviews nutrition and lifestyle medicine experts and extraordinary guests whose informative and inspiring stories will empower you with the knowledge to transform your life and health. Hi, welcome to the Healthy Human Revolution podcast. I'm Dr. Lori Marbus, and today I'm excited and honored to welcome Muzamil Ahmad. And how are you today? I'm doing well. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me here. Well, thank you. And I really try hard not to slaughter names as we were just talking about. So I hope I said that correctly. You've corrected me a few times. Okay, good. (laughs) Um, But, you know, this is really fun because you are a third year medical student in Canada. And um, before the show, we were just mentioning briefly, you know, that it's a much needed concept of understanding nutrition and that you didn't even come into medicine as your first choice of career. So why don't we start there and just kind of give me a brief overview or wherever you like as far as how did you start this journey of becoming a doctor? Yeah, for sure. So it's kind of interesting because as a kid, I used to always say, I want to be a doctor. Um, I always had this inner need to want to help people. But I think along the way, I started really focusing on just academics and not how my future job is going to impact other people and my personal desires and passions. So during high school, um, I was in IB, which is like similar to AP that you guys have. And I was really focused on just my studies and we could only pick one science. So I actually never did biology or chemistry, which is probably the reason I never took any sciences in my undergrad um, because I didn't have that background. So I finished my high school and then I, I have always had a bit of an entrepreneurial mindset. So I decided to take business for my undergrad. And I was doing that. I worked every summer. I never felt passionate about it, but there's something that my dad had instilled in my mind that if you start something, you have to finish it. So if you started a business degree, you got to finish it. And I just kind of stuck to that. I didn't really question it, even though like low key, like internally, I felt like I should probably try to discover something else. But I just stuck to it and I finished my degree. And after that, I was trying to figure out, do I want to work? And it just happened so that I landed, I had done a summer job at a nonprofit mental health commission of Canada. I should mention that I've always been passionate about mental health. So when they offered me a full-time job, I was like, okay, you know, this sounds amazing, but it was a contract job for a year. So I started doing that. And during that time, my dad just recommended, my dad's like, this job's not going to last forever. It's a contract. Why don't you just apply to, cause um, Alberta is kind of like Texas. It's like oil and gas industry. So my dad was like, why don't you apply to Shell? It's a really good oil and gas company. And they have a really good undergrad program, uh, like, you know, for interns that are just starting their job. I was like, sure, I'll apply for that. I kind of just did it without any plans of actually working there. And they had a very rigorous interview system where they interview you on the phone, then they interview you in person, then they bring you in for two days where you stay in a hotel there and they interview you back to back for like eight to five, two days with a lot of like group projects and presentations and analyses. And I had just honestly done that out of curiosity. (laughs) And when they offered me a job, I didn't want to say yes, but I felt like I had gone through this rigorous process. So now I have to say yes. So I kind of just took that job because I had succeeded and I felt like now it was something I have to do. So I started working there and I was really good at what I was doing. I enjoyed the relationships I was making in my company, everyone was super nice, but I never felt satisfied. Like I always felt the need to have a lot of hobbies to keep myself happy. Um, luckily that company gives a lot of vacation. I was getting seven weeks of vacation. 
So I would just wow. backpacking a lot because I love backpacking. So I would just go like travel around the world and, you know, but then one, one trip I had, it was to Bolivia through the Amazon forest. I just met these random people and they were, they were like, you never really talk about your work and, you know, are you even like happy in it? I'm like, yeah, they give me so much vacation. And I think one of them was like, if vacation is what makes you happy, then you don't really love your job. <laughs> And that really made me like rethink everything. And I'm like, that's true. Like the only t reason I like my job is the time off I get. Like, cause I'm all, yeah, like, seriously. I was like, there's no other job that gives you that much time off. Mm -hmm. And I was kind of just using that time off to be happy. Um, and then I realized this is not right. Like I need to love my job. I need to be excited to go to my work, not excited to wait for my vacation. Um, <laughs> so that's when I kind of decided it was time for a change at that time. I honestly, cause I had never considered what else I could do. Um, so I just applied to law school, just like business degree, like medicine wasn't something I was thinking because I didn't have a science background. Sure. So I applied to law school. I got in, but then my gut feeling said, no, you're just going from one thing to the other. You're not passionate about this. Are you really going to be happy? So I actually went backpacking. I quit my job knowing very well that I don't fully know what I want to do yet. I knew I had the law school in my pocket, but I didn't, I pretty much knew I'm going to say no. Uh, I didn't tell anyone that everyone thought I'm for sure going to law school, but in my mind, I was like questioning it. So I went traveling and during my travel is when I started realizing I'm like, you know, I love meeting people and like helping them. Like I would meet random people in different countries while I was traveling. And I would just love like listening to them and like talking to them and, uh, like, you know, and a lot of them were, were like, are you a psychologist? Are you a counselor? And I'm like, no, I'm not. I have a finance and marketing background. And then that just triggered something. I was like, you know what? I need to go back into something where I am listening to people and helping them. That's what I enjoy. Mm. And again, medicine didn't click in yet, mainly because I didn't have a science background. So I applied for a master's in psychology in the UK, mm -hmm. um, mainly because I always wanted to live in the UK. So I tried for that. And I got in and I moved to the UK to do my master's and I loved it. Psychology was fascinating. And then near the end of it, then the question came like, am I going to do a PhD in psychology? What am I going to do? And I'm like, I love, I love mental health, I love psychology. But as I was just like shadowing and talking to psychologists, I also started talking to like other doctors. And I realized that as much as I love mental health, whenever like, you know, I'm like shadowing, I always feel the need to ask about people's like other health issues. Like, what are they eating? Um, do they have any other health concerns? Because a lot of these things are interconnected. Mental health is not just like a box on its own. It's all interconnected. And I, and as much as I love psychology, I just felt like I would be just stuck talking about that one thing because no one comes to a psychologist to talk about their diet or to talk about their diabetes. And, and I just felt like, you know, I can use this, master's in psychology if I pursue medicine and that's where like I remembered that I always wanted to be a doctor now it's time for mm. me to reconsider so I actually had to go back to undergrad take science courses mm. like a uh, uh, like one of these prerequisites. One yeah prerequisites are mm -hmm. and then I applied and fortunately luckily I got into my top choice of school and <laughs> yeah so that's how I ended up in medicine and I couldn't be happier well, obviously you're super bright because you're getting into medical school and law school and the toughest, <laughs> like, Thank you. it's a, it's a beautiful thing when you have choices like that. And, um, we're happy to have you on this side of the, 
of the fight to get people healthier. <laughs> I mean, it is actually, it's going to, I think it benefits you to be an older student mm-hmm. um, in medical school. I was um, six years after undergrad, I, I got married and had three children and then went back to medical school. So they oh, were cool. five, three and 10 months old. And I always wanted to be a doctor since I was 10, I was a major in biology, but um that was a really good, ex- I mean, medical school was tough. I did a master's yeah. as well in MBA while I was wow. in medical school. So um, there was like, we're just starting this program. It's for free. I'm like, okay, <laughs> sure. Why not? Three kids, two degrees. Why not? And there's so much to that story. But um, but yes, I, I think it makes you appreciate your education and Absolutely. what you're doing. And, uh, Absolutely. Um, yeah, those are those are some fun times. So I, I think I think it's good for you to have that experience. So Thank you. It, <laughs> even though it was a, you got to travel, you got to do some cool stuff. Um, it helps me connect with patients on so many different levels. Because oh, yeah. um, I, you know, like I don't care what background they come from, educationally or you know whatever, like eth- ethnic background. Because I've been mm. to so many countries and I've like worked in a few different jobs. So it really helps me connect with patients on different levels, and I really enjoy that. Absolutely, one hundred percent. So um, uh, that's that's really fun. So now you walk into medical school. You're in your starting your third year, and then somewhere you find the the green side of things. So tell us a little bit about your plant based journey. Absolutely. Um, so I've always been interested in nutrition. Okay, I shouldn't say always. I used to be overweight. I'm trying to remember when. Um, like. I was overweight a lot of my high school on and off and then during my undergrad too. And then I, that's when I kind of realized that I needed to, you know, start eating healthier. Before that, I never used to think about food as like something I need to think about. Um, So I got into nutrition a long time ago, but I wasn't looking into the scientific literature then. I wasn't for the longest time, to be completely honest. I was doing something that's often referred to as like the bro diet, which is like a lot of protein, (laughs) a tiny bit of broccoli, and then like rice or something. And that's what I was eating because that's what everyone around me was eating. And compared to where I had come from, which was Mm. a lot of junk food and a lot of pop and things like Mm. that, to me, that was like very healthy. Mm. It's all relative, right? Like, where do you come from? What were Mm -hmm. you doing before? So for the longest time, I kept thinking I'm eating healthy. But I, I've had like a few health problems that made me always question, is my diet right? I have had migraines all my life. And I had mm. just, I was always told by my doctors that it's genetic, um, cause, especially because my mom also has it. So mm. I, I never thought more than that. I would just sometimes take really strong pills that were given to me. I had cystic acne on my face and have tried like so many medications, Accutane five times and Five times. Five times. Five cycles. One is already like enough. So you can imagine. Oh my goodness. They don't mind (laughs) prescribing it all over again if you get acne. That's a that there's a dry skin and the lips and the liver potential toxicity. Wow. Okay. I'm sorry. Five times. I never knew they would actually do that for you. Yeah, it was it was pretty bad. (laughs) Um, because it would get better and then I would be off Accutane and then it would come back. Because wow. I wasn't really changing what I'm eating. So it doesn't, like, it doesn't surprise me that's what was happening. Sure. Uh, so I had acne, I had migraines. I had uh, something called like constant fatigue syndrome. Like I was always tired, needed a lot of caffeine throughout the day. And regardless of like my sleep, like my sleep, I always tried to sleep, but still needed a lot of coffee and stuff. And then I also had a bit of eczema and digestive issues. So 
I was always frustrated. I'm eating well, or what I thought was well. I'm exercising. I am like, you know, being active and sleeping well. Why do I have these problems? Like, shouldn't my body be like, okay, you're doing all the right things. And I'm young too. So it really bothered me. And I've tried all the fat diets, um, not going to lie, before I actually looked into the scientific literature. And um, I had just kind of given up hope. Uh, I remember one time I went, this was during med school. Went to the doctor, he did a bunch of tests, couldn't find anything wrong in the blood test. And he's told me that he wanted me to try SSRIs, antidepressants. Mm -hmm. He's like, I think your fatigue comes from depression. But I'm like, my mood is fine. No one has told me that. And I don't feel like I'm sad. And he was like, yeah, but you know, it could be like underlying and you just don't know. Why don't we experiment? And that didn't feel right to me to experiment with something so strong yeah. especially when like i haven't like you know if it was depression i feel like i should have started with therapy not like ssris and so, at least be symptomatic of yeah depression. right so that didn't sit well with me and then around that same time is doing my cardiology block one of the lectures i was sitting down and the cardiologists are talking about how children these days are getting plaques in their arteries by the age of 10 and that's it he didn't like talk about why like is that bad is that good just more of a very factual statement and then soon later he was like look at the person to your right and look at the person to your left you've looked at two people one of them is going to get heart disease and then he just moved on like <laughs> and i was surprised that no one else questioned it either like i was just boggled i was like you told us something so big 50 percent of my friends are going to get heart disease Right. And then you're not going to tell me how to prevent it, how to change it. Is, <laughs> is that normal? It, like, like you, you just start telling me all the surgeries and statins and all the medications. And that, so the combination of those two things, I was like, you know what? Med school is great to learn what to do when people are sick. Um, but I want to learn how diet is involved in my own health, in heart disease and all these things. And that's when I started looking into the scientific literature. And then I was astonished when I discovered everything. <laughs> I discovered all the studies, uh, all the work of like, you know, Dr. Esselstyn and um, all these amazing plant-based doctors as well as about the blue zones. And I was just like, why do I not know this? Like I'm learning about heart disease and how come he hasn't even brought this up even for a second. And oh. that's when I was pretty much convinced that, you know what? I'm going to go plant-based and that's how I became plant-based. It's like you peek into the lid and you're like, whoa, yeah. it's just like, <laughs> literally that's exactly how I felt. It's like dynamite has exploded and uh, you can't unlearn that because then yeah. you're like, what on earth? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Be thankful that you're young and that you discover this then, right? So I've been doing a plant-based diet myself with the family for nine years or almost wow. nine years. And um, I was 40 once. So I'll be 50 this year. <laughs> and um, I don't feel 50. I feel like you don't, you, you don't look 50. You look so young. <laughs> Thank you. My, my TikTok is ticking here. It's like, uh, <laughs> it's less than two months away now um, or about two months. And um, you know, but that is really a blessing for you that you're starting your career with this amazing knowledge. Do you know what specialty you want to go into? Most likely I've decided I don't want to do anything fancy. I want to do general practice and focus on lifestyle medicine because awesome. so I can help these patients prevent all these things. I'm frustrated to see other people aren't preventing. 
or reversing. Um, or reversing. That, <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. It really is, you know, when you're in medical school and they teach you, you can't use the word reverse because very yeah. few things are reversible. Yeah. I'm like, but now I'm thinking, you know, actually 80% of these things are certainly preventable and absolutely. majority of those are also <laughs> reversible. They don't even and, want uh, you questioning it, which is so sad. <laughs> <laughs> no, exactly. And the beautiful thing is as a physician, you can learn to take in the medicine parts and you're going to marry that with the very powerful lifestyle medicine and the interventions. So, um, your, your patients will love you and appreciate (laughs) you. And, you know, you'll hear doctors say, Oh, nobody wants to change. I was like, really? Did you ever, that is not true. I have, I have noticed 100% not true. Not true. (laughs) I agree with you because I shadow all the time at family medicine clinics and the doctors always tell me that. And I'm like, can you give me five minutes with the patient? I talk to them and they promise me they're going to make changes and they do start making changes. It just, they didn't know. And that's the issue. You need to tell them. Exactly. So that's why. So the other interesting thing is, so now you have these people like yourself, myself, other plant-based doctors who have this knowledge, but there's not a whole lot of us. I mean, we're growing in numbers. So that's why we started the plant-based telehealth. So now that's why we're in 40 of these states. We see international patients. I've seen Canadians. And so that is, I mean, the telehealth component with the COVID at this point has been, it's really an interesting, you know, kind of a very uh, synchronicity of thing of events occurring. So mm-hmm. just the keep fighting the good fight. That's amazing. <laughs> so tell us, so you had all these issues you listed quite the yeah. list. And so how did you start seeing things change? So you introduced this plant-based diet. Was it, some people have a little difficulty. Tell us how you did it. Like what did, okay. what was your journey to health? So I, okay. Um, <laughs> I should mention that before I discovered plant-based, I was still eating a lot of vegetables. Mm. I wasn't one of those people who was just not eating vegetables. Suddenly I was like, I need to incorporate them. I was eating a lot of animal products but I was still having my daily huge salad. I was, um, I also grew up on a lot of vegetables and lentils. Like my mom always made them. It's actually interesting because my background is Pakistani. And when I was a child, we were in Pakistan and we immigrated when I was like around 11, 12. The first 10, 11 years of my life, I barely ate animal products. Like I, we, my mom would make them like maybe a few times a week. And then when we moved to Canada, it became a daily component. And I, we, all of us gained weight but we never thought about it. Um, so it's not that I didn't have the palate for it. It just, the frequency had dropped and I was just able to increase it. Cause like, it was still like in the back of my mind that we used to do that. Um, but I, um, so what I did was I had a lot of animal products in my fridge cause my fridge and freezer were always stocked up. So I, what I did was I just started making more and more plant-based dishes and less and less on those. And then mm-hmm. I just wanted to get rid of them. But then there came a point where I was just like, I can't eat this anymore. <laughs> like, but I didn't want to waste it. So I found this, uh, this like food, um, like donation place that mm-hmm. takes like frozen food. And I literally took all my frozen animal products, like, you know, meat and fish and everything and just gave them all. And I just felt good. I'm like, okay, now I can do what I want to do. Like hundred <laughs> percent. Oh boy. So yeah. So part of my story of going plant-based diet is, it was a patient interaction. It's, it's kind of a fun story, but when I went home, so my te- my kids were 13, 15 and 18 then. And uh, my poor husband, and I was like, we're going on a plant-based diet and the kids knew better than to question me. 
But anyway, I threw everything out except, and my husband's like, well, you're still cooking, right? And I said, yeah. He goes, whatever. Okay. He's Filipino. So you get, you know, they, they'll eat anything I decided. Yeah. And uh, so what was interesting was we had a freezer full of a quarter of a grass fed beef. So this is a very large amount of meat. And I was yeah. like, I felt honestly, like I couldn't give it to anyone because I was going to kill them. <laughs> So I started thinking, I was like, oh my goodness, this is, I'm like, I'm going to donate to an animal shelter. But two days later, after we went to the, I literally overnight went to plant based diet, the freezer broke and we came home from church and there literally was like the smell and the stench. So you just went bad on its own. <laughs> it did on its own. And my husband's like, did you unplug that? I was like, that is, that is divine it was, intervention. It was just meant to be. <laughs> But exactly. But what was, when you started moving into this plant, we say this, even this gradual, like what were the first things that you saw get better? And then like, what was your like, wow, I am better. Wow. What happened? Yeah. I feel like I don't know. Honestly, I feel like things started changing pretty quickly because dairy was probably the first thing to go. That's also because dairy was something I had cut out of my life long time ago and then reintroduced it. Um, and then, so dairy wasn't hard for me to kick out again. So as soon as I took dairy out, my cystic acne went away. Mm. Like I still get those tiny pills once in a while, but I used to get these huge cystic acne that mm. just start like, you know, whatever I had on my face, as soon as that went away, none, none of the new ones came. So that was like pretty like amazing. I took a one category of food and I was not eating junk food. So it's not like I took a junk food. I was never eating that to begin with. My diet was very clean. And that went away. And then as I took out everything, I, it's hard for me to say when it happened, but honestly, like my fatigue just like gradually became better mm. to a point that I was like, I, I would wake up and I'd be like, I don't even like, do I need this coffee right now? <laughs> <laughs> and I would just like not drink it where before it was like such a habit. Um, so I just stopped, like, I, I still love coffee. So I'll drink it once in a while, but it's not something I require anymore. It's more mm. of like, if I'm craving the taste or, you know, or if I, just had a bad night because I got home late or whatever. Um, but, and then um, my digestion got better. My mm. eczema went away and it just, I just feel like things just got better and better and better. Absolutely. So now you have this amazing knowledge and obviously everyone who has a life-changing transformation or reads the stuff, they feel evangelical about it almost. So what did you start doing in your school? Tell us a little bit about that journey. For sure. I feel like that can be so hard learning all that. And then, <laughs> cause I remember I wasn't, I, I hadn't seen this friend for like a week. And during that week I had gone into the, this like deep research and I came back out of it and her and I went for a walk and I'm like telling her all this. And she's like, did you just have an epiphany? Like what happened to you? <laughs> uh, and then, and it was the same at school because then I was getting more, I was going to my lectures and again, like everything they're teaching is important, but there is a huge piece that's missing that needs to be incorporated. Like we learn about all these obscure diseases that I doubt I'll ever see, but we don't learn about this that could save so many lives. So I was just starting to get frustrated. So I know during summer is when I decided I wanted to do more. Um, and I approached one of the deans and I was, I it's kind of funny because I didn't mean to end up in the board meeting room, but I was talking to her secretary, how I want to book an appointment with her. And I was like, I really need this. And then the Dean was walking by and she was like, 
why don't you just talk to her right now? I'm like, no, she's going into the meeting. And then the dean overheard and the dean is like, whatever you have to share, you can share with everyone. And there was like literally like more than 30 big, like, you know, seniors sitting there, like all these doctors and admin <laughs> folks. And I'm like, okay. <laughs> and then I just, I was like, okay, I, I, I was pretty honest. I'm like, I feel like everything we're being taught is super important, but there's a lot of nutrition knowledge that's like outdated. A lot is still lacking and a lot could be incorporated. And I just kind of gave a lot of examples and the associate dean was like, uh, the same person I've been talking about. She was like, you know what? Um, you're absolutely right. It's time to make some changes. And she was wow. like, leave that with me. Let us think it over and then connect with me in a few weeks. And then we can see what we do, what we can do. So then I connected with her during the summer. And then she was like, you know, either this summer or next summer, you could actually take a deep dive into the curriculum and see what needs to be changed, what needs to be updated, what needs to be added. But let me know if you want to do something right away. So I was like, I do. I want to start a nutrition club. I feel like what you're recommending is something I also want to do, but that's that, you know, there's so much red tape that's going to take so long for that to be implemented. I want to start doing something right away. So then I got the approval and funding for the nutrition club and I started running that and then brought in a dietitian and like show documentary and like, and then more people joined me in the club to run it. And then we started sending out a monthly newsletter uh, written by one of my, by one of my friends. And then the same friend, Cass Warbeck, her and I, I wanted to do the podcast for the longest time. And then I told her, I'm like, I want to do this. Would you like to be my co-host? And then she was totally down. So then we went back to the school and we were like, we want to do this. We need funding. We need your approval. And we basically gave the entire plan and we got the funding, we got the approval. And <laughs> it was kind of amazing because I was not expecting them to do that. I should probably mention that before me getting approval for that, I was constantly sending emails to professors with CCing the dean about anything <laughs> in, about nutrition that was outdated. Like I remember one of the psychiatrists was like, vegans don't get these disease nutrients, which can lead to depression. And one doctor was like, vegans don't live as long as omnivores, oh my which is a like completely opposite of like what's been shown. So then I would just find all these studies and I would send the emails to the professor and CC the dean. And I think she had, she had been reading them. She wasn't responding to them, but it seemed like she was reading the articles and what I was sending. Right. So when I went to her for this, she was like already in her mind. She was like, he knows what he's talking about. So she was like, you have my blessing. You have my approval. Do what you want awesome. to do. So yeah. And we, then we started oh, so <laughs> you have, oh, I have so much for it to even start. Um, so you have professors arguing with you or not essentially arguing. Yeah. Essentially stating or, yeah. incorrect facts that they weren't even looking. They're probably just like, oh, I heard on whatever, read an article a lot, on a, a blog. A lot of them did not have sources to no. see that. And <laughs> one, or they, like one of them had a source. But then I, like the article that they had mentioned had a few flaws that I pointed out. So mm. I just feel like it's unfortunate. It's not their fault. They, like a lot that is i feel like is a huge problem is sometimes they just don't know what articles to read or how to read them and how to find flaws and like be critical because i didn't mention in my story but i've also got in my nutrition certification so i'm now able to like more so read nutrition articles and be more critical about it um mm -hmm. so yeah so, so a lot of professors have like opened their minds to it <laughs> that's 
Well, good. I, I mean, it's just unfortunate that it has to be a student pointing it out to people mm -hmm. who are teaching our future physicians. Yeah, it is. It's very unfortunate. <laughs> oh my gosh. Yes. Uh, like I think I had mentioned in an email, my daughter is a fourth year medical yeah. student and um, she's going into family medicine. She just took, so in the United States, we have to take it's a three-part national medical licensing exam. Mm -hmm. And she just finished her second part and did very well. And it's just, you know, I think of her and she's plant-based obviously. And I think of her and her future and you and your future. And I think what a blessing for all of those patients that are going to be able to interact with you. But then I think about all those other 95% of your class that's not getting <laughs> the teaching that's so important. And so have you started seeing like they're actually teaching this in your classes? Like, are you seeing that shift yet? So okay, a few things to that. Um, they haven't started changing because this summer, the, the project I had mentioned that the dean was like, once you go into the curriculum, mm. I had a few other plans. So then my friend Cass Orbeck was like, I can take this project. So she took it over. So she has gone through the curriculum. She's pointed mm. out a lot of the things that need updating or then uh, is just simply incorrect. And then the things that should be added and she's plant-based, she's been plant-based for like six, seven years. So she has made all the recommendations, all the sources are there and it was a paid job. So like they were paying her to do this. Oh, job wow. Somewhere. Yeah. Um, it was the same Dean. Um, so she I was like your Dean. <laughs> oh, our, the Dean resigned. So we, we got a new Dean starting like this month, <laughs> oh, <laughs> but boy. at least that project got completed. Now the only thing is, does it get implemented? They paid mm. for it. So we're really hoping to take all, everything she has put together into a package and actually try to implement. Mm -hmm. um, that's the next step. And that has to come because now th the struggle is to get the prof each individual professors of each lecture to actually make those changes. Wow. So that's going to be, I don't think it's going to happen overnight. That's going to be other work. That's but the good thing is because of the pod. Yeah. The good, good thing is because of the podcast, mm -hmm. um, a lot of the students from my class have started going plant-based. They mess, they've, that these people I never thought would have messaged me saying, thank you so much for bringing us this information. I decided to go plant-based a few days ago. This friend was like, I became vegetarian recently and been Aww. eating mostly plant-based. And it's just so many medical students from my class have been switching over. So, so that's really good to hear. That is phenomenal. And, you know, I, I think kudos to you for taking the initiative yes. to share that with your your classmates and your professor and really trying to implement long-term change for every student that comes in after you. Um, Cause I mean, I know physicians who eat a plant-based diet, but they don't bother to share it with their patients because yep. they don't feel like that behavior change is right. Is, is possible. And I've dove into psychology is so fascinating. Yeah. Isn't it? <laughs> it um, is so fascinating. Like half of my books are on behavior change. I just finished yeah. a, I read uh, Tiny Habits. I just did BJ Fogg's, like he had a boot camp. So I did that for four weeks, got to work with him personally. A friend of mine, Dr. Judd Brewer is a addiction um, psychiatrist and he wrote The Craving Mind. That's really cool stuff. I mean, there's so many amazing things that you can do when you talk to your patient and draw Absolutely. out a habit loop and explain to them, this is how a habit forms. This is how you can break a habit. This is how you implement good behavior. They're just like, I'm not a victim of my cravings. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And on, you know, even if not every patient you talk to changes, even if you're mm -hmm. able to change 
more than 50%, let's say, you know, whatever the minimum, even if you're able to change two people, you're still mm-hmm. like helping those people. So I still think we should have that conversation with everybody. Oh, absolutely. And the research supports that even a very small, you know, initiative by a, pay, a physician to implement good health lifestyle changes, they will take upon it. They will actually act upon it. And then you have the social contagion factor. And so you touch so many lives. You have authority behind you. People respect that. And then you touch so many lives and those lives touch lives. So the ripple effect is actually pretty cool. It'll be fun for you to look back in 10 years and say, where are those people that you touched first and then how they touched and and they share those stories. Those are really fun because you're empowering others to make change in other lives. And you're just like, that's just the, I call it veggie crack. It's like, so it's like, you get better because I tell you to eat some vegetables and I get a high. Yeah. My do- It's called, I call it veggie crack, hashtag veggie crack, you were set. So. I love it. I love it. <laughs> but uh, that is awesome. So what are, now, you know, here you are, you're going in, I am assuming in uh, Canada, your first two years are kind of like it's the United States. US. Is it? Okay. Yeah. So now you're going into your clinical years. Yeah. So have you, have you contrived any ways of working that into sharing with patients? that you might be encountering? Well, I plan on bringing it up with my patients. Like, obviously I like, you know, talk to my, like, you know, attending as well, mm-hmm. but I do, cause I, I was already doing it kind of during just shadowing. Mm-hmm. So I definitely plan on wherever I can bringing it up, even if it's awesome. simple as like, you know, if you have two hours to spare, can you go watch Forks Over Knives? Mm-hmm. You know, I feel like if a patient's so sick that they need a surgery and you tell them, you know, they might actually listen to you and just go watch that and that might change their life. So I definitely plan on bringing it up wherever I can. Mm -hmm. That's awesome. That's phenomenal. You know, um, and I know you've uh, interviewed Michelle McMacken and a few others, but um, like Rob Osfeld at Montefiore in New York, they actually got it running on a loop works overnight. Yeah, I love that. That's so cool. (laughs) In the hospital. And uh, so I also helped um, start I literally, there's three of us on the phone three years ago to start the first plant-based medical journal. So it's called the International Journal of Disease Reversal and Prevention. And I'm the managing editor. We got Kim Williams to be our editor-in-chief, who is the past president of the American College of Cardiology. He's the chief of cardiology at Rush. And um, that's been really interesting to get on this side of things with publications and, you know, open access and stuff. But it's uh, very cool. But he, uh, Rob actually wrote an article on how to do that in your hospital. And I will send that to you. And Please, um, yeah, yeah I, I think you'll find it's free. To, the, the, the journal is free to, for everyone to actually register and you can have access. It's, it's open access. We don't charge okay. anyone to, to, to even, you know, <laughs> it's a $10 billion industry. That, let me tell you, that was a learning <laughs> experience. Um, Cause nobody I ever knew had ever launched or designed medical journals. So I literally was building this from scratch and it was quite an endeavor. Um, but now we've got our systems in place and you know, we're in our full second year will be next month. Wow. Um, wow. But yeah, so we'll, we'll, uh, I'll send that to you, but it's been really interesting that that's a $10 billion industry. So here you have, at least in the United States, we have our tax dollars supporting all this research and you know there's there's for-profit commercial publishers that you know like let's say you know association the american medical association has jama and you have all these different ones they actually pay these court these commercial publishers 
to publish their journal that they give them all the information for free. The research is done, paid for for our tax dollars. The researchers do it, you know, to get, you know, tenure or whatever they're doing, wherever mm -hmm. they're working. And then they have to oftentimes pay a fee, $2,500 to $4,500 just to actually submit it <laughs> to be told, oh, we only accept 6% or so of these wow. publications. And it is a really, I mean, like what a gimmick, right? So here I'm like, I should just start a commercial publication publishing house. And then I could say, you have to pay me to publish it. You have to pay me to submit and you do all that work for free. Wow. It's amazing. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, I sit here and go, you, you must be kidding. And then it's behind a paid wall. So I don't even have access mm -hmm. as a pet taxpayer. Anyway, that is a pet peeve of mine. I was, when I was doing wow. the research, there's a lot of, um, a lot of chatter in the back, you know, when you start digging into how to do this and it's just like, whoa. <laughs> so anyway, that's a whole nother story. Yeah, that's, that's pretty cool. Yeah, but, um, but there's some really cool stuff there. So I would encourage you, and if you ever want to submit something like what you're doing at your medical school, kind of in the same genre of what Rob did, um, that'd be really cool. We'd love oh, that. I'll definitely look into that. Yeah, no, that's yeah. really good. Thanks absolutely. for telling me. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So, um, but, you know, that's phenomenal. So I know we have a few minutes left. So can you tell me um, what's been kind of the fun part about this as far as like, what are things that you've learned that you wish you could have like your future patients know, or maybe your friends, what their experience is like learning how to talk, like what are some of those like finer points that you've like, wow, like a few other aha moments by doing this journey? Are we talking about the plant-based journey? Just to your plant-based journey, medicine, whatever you feel is like, it's just been yeah, and I think because it's the, when you start seeing your friends change and they're improving their lives, like what are some things that you've learned along the way that as early on, because you're early into your journey as, mm -hmm. as a practicing physician to share that message? And because I know I certainly have refined how I share this message. What, what are you learning as far as that process of sharing this information or maybe why you're surprised at how people took something? That's For sure. Yeah, no, I think, um, okay, let's talk about when we are sharing information with our patients. Mm. I think what's really important to first tell them that there is another option. Mm. That is so key because a lot of them have been made to believe that there isn't another option. If they have been diagnosed with type 2 diabetes or high cholesterol, hypertension, they are made to believe that there's no other option. Medication is the only option and they need to take it regularly. And I'm not saying like medications can't help, but I'm saying that we need to, you know, just bring it up with a patient and be like, Hey, okay. You know, I've already presented one option. There's this second option and then go over with them and tell them the benefits and tell them how there's potential to reverse their uh, type two diabetes or to bring their insulin resistance down or to bring their cholesterol levels down. And their mental health improves when you change your diet. Like that's mm -hmm. another huge one. Cause I'm really passionate about that. And bringing up that information is like step one. Mm. And because you cannot just tell them, go change your diet. And then that's what a lot of <laughs> doctors do. One, the patient doesn't know what that means. It's too vague. And it's very, it's very like authoritative. Mm. And I don't ever see that working. So mm. we need to present the information. Then the second thing should be giving them maybe like tips hey, okay, you're not ready to go all the way to plant-based, 100% plant-based. 
how about you change one of your diet, uh, one of your meals every day and then give them options. Like I, when I start my own clinic one day, I plan on having like some sort of website with like pamphlets that I can give them and then they can quickly read on the pamphlet and then go home and look more on the website because the pamphlet will like increase curiosity and have like easy to do tips. Like, you know, in, you know, okay, you eat chicken every day. How about in your pasta this time put, I don't know, chickpeas or whatever and like simple tips. And that can really change because that's what I've noticed with my friends too is they sometimes just don't know how to do it. And that scares mm-hmm. them from even like looking into it because they mm-hmm. everyone's like, you know, has their habits now, however old they are, they've been doing it for that many years. So you need to like give them very actionable things. Mm-hmm. And that's key. And mm-hmm. that's what brings change is one, the number one has to be understanding. Obviously, if you give them actionable things and they don't understand why they need to do it, most likely they will forget and not do it. So make them understand and then give them actionable things and then give them time to like try it out. And then at the next visit, have a discussion. How did that go? What were the Uh, things that didn't work? Um, And I really, I use that with my friends a lot and it works. (laughs) So so that's what I recommend to a lot of my friends who are like, oh, we can't talk about diet. Like patients aren't gonna do it. And I'm like, but I made you change your diet. Like, are you like, why do you think a patient wouldn't do the same thing? So then they like, you know, start thinking, oh, that's true. Um, Mm. So that's like number one, (laughs) huge, huge thing. Um, And a lot of people come to me and they'll start blaming because then they'll start, they try to do it overnight, which can work Mm. for certain people. Mm -hmm. Other people, they need to go slowly. If you haven't been eating a lot of your fiber, you can't just go from like 10 (laughs) grams of fiber to 60 grams of fiber. That's just not, that's like recipe for, like disaster for your, you know. Well, for you and maybe others around you, but yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. so like go slow. Like if fiber is something you haven't been consuming, in you know, slowly increase it. Don't do it overnight. Um, that's a huge one because I know mm-hmm. my friend, he wanted to try the smoothie recipe I drink. I didn't want to send it to him, but then he wanted it. So I did. And then he complained about diarrhea afterwards. And I'm like, yeah, because my smoothie has so much fiber in it. Like you don't drink smoothies for one. So so yeah taking the steps is another one and completely off of the like not talking about diet now one thing I really want to talk about is like finding your passion because that's something that I wish I had done sooner but I'm really happy that I did do whenever you know I decided to do it because then you're like my education what I'm doing when I talk to a patient learning about this doesn't feel like a chore anymore it's like I want to do it because I have a passion, I have a goal in mind and I want to keep learning. Um, and that's really key is mm-hmm. if you're not happy with whatever you're doing, like you need to figure out why and what will make you happy. So. Yes. I was, um, I can't remember which podcast was, maybe it was the knowledge project podcast cause I run. And so I listen to different podcasts and they were talking just about that. So it's like some people, or maybe it was, uh, it might've been Oprah. So I don't remember. It's one of these. Uh, I thought yeah. it was interesting, but it was like the describing passion. Right. And it, and they put it in the terms of um, almost like stages of life. So you have interest that might be your infancy toddler. And then you might have, you know, so you kind of move into from interest towards kind of a passion, you know, like you, you find something that sort of interests you and then you're kind of passionate and but then you find your purpose Mm -hmm. and actually it was Jim Quick it was quick Jim Quick interviewed someone that was recent (laughs) (laughs) 
one's left me at the moment. But that was really cool because people like, well, I've lost my my purpose. I don't know what my purpose is, or I've lost my passion. He goes, just go back, right? So then go backwards to, if you've lost your passion, go back to what are your interests. So maybe if someone you're saying search for your passion, maybe they're like, I don't know my passion. Maybe just go look at your interests and see Absolutely. where that evolves. So I really liked how that evolution was putting it in different steps. And he obviously said it much more eloquently than I could at the moment. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, but I think you're right. I'm your passion will pull you through really tough days with no sleep and I not getting paid much. Agree. Yeah, <laughs> no, for sure. Absolutely. That's a huge thing. Cause before I was making six figures at oh, such a young age, had seven, seven weeks of vacation and none of that brought me happiness. Now I'm a medical student, barely have time to sleep and I'm happier. <laughs> oh, I so, so understand. Oh my goodness. Yes. That's awesome. So, I really appreciate the the passion aspect of it. So when you, do you guys ever get to work with like high school students or maybe even first year students now that you're moving into your third year? Do you guys have like a mentorship program at all? Because I know that my daughter had that and they really enjoyed that. Yeah, no, we do definitely. Uh, well, I haven't worked with high school students, mm. but uh, what we have is every second year medical student has a first year medical student. And also, every third year medical student has a first year medical oh, student. So the nice. first year medical students have two mentors, one year oh. above them and one in clerkship. And I, yeah, and the person that, um, that I mentored, um, him and I have become amazing friends now. And that's a few things that I mentioned to you about like passion and stuff. I always talk to him about it. Mm -hmm. And then also he has been inspired to be more plant-based as he as he checks why. out <laughs> yeah <laughs> so yeah i think it's really important to share that with people because sometimes people just don't think about it until someone like brings it up and mm -hmm. yeah you know it's funny I, I will say that um people there's no doubt now what i do and what i would recommend but it's funny people reach out to you it's almost like they're like well i have this question dr marbis or laurie would have a friend or whatever but I know you're going to tell me go plant-based, but I really want to make sure there's nothing else to do. I'm like, really? <laughs> I was like, I almost think they want to be told they need to do a plant-based diet, but now they'll have permission because we told them a doctor has told them. It's been really yeah. interesting. Those little quirky conversations like, but, but I'm like, but you know what I'm going to tell you. So why are you even? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> have you seen any of that kind of like reverse psychology that I have to play with someone to like, tell them to do what they already want to do <laughs> i absolutely i feel like sometimes they just need a push it happens to a lot of my non-medical related friends because mm. i feel like it's the same thing they haven't looked it up on their own but you know just based on documentaries that i've seen and what they've heard um right. they feel like that's the thing to do and then they're like okay if this person who's a medical student trained in nutrition if he says it then i'm gonna do it and i'm like but you already <laughs> knew you should do it but folks <laughs> It's, and that's that's been actually happening more. It's been like something that's been definitely occurring more in the last three to four months. We launched our mm -hmm. telehealth practice, my business partner, in March. And some of the, you know, most of the patients, the beautiful thing about this is it's called plant-based telehealth. And you're just like, people know we're going to be preaching a plant-based diet. Most yeah. of them are already done it. But I've had a few that come on to argue with me, but they keep coming back. And I'm like, <laughs> I like, I know you're paying me to help you. I feel like <laughs> it probably deep down they 
they want to get there. They do. They just have a they lot do. of barriers and they <laughs> keep coming back for you to break them. <laughs> and I love them. Actually, we have yeah. some of the best conversations because we talk about all sorts of stuff. But I just feel so bad because I'm, I'm searching for that one piece that's just, you know, like I'll have a patient. I've had patients tell me, you know, Dr. Marvis, you keep telling me this has been a year, but finally I decided because this one thing you said about some esoteric fact, <laughs> I was like, that one thing really did it for me. Yeah, because to you, that one thing probably didn't mean much. So I'm searching now. There's, yeah. you know, there's a few of those patients, and I'm just searching for that clue. I'm constantly listening. I'm going to say something that's going to just do it for you. And, um, but it is. It's just, it's just me being ready and just being patient and creating that positive Absolutely. opportunities for them. But they do come back, and that's what is so fascinating um, it's not like me just as a regular doctor, but they're like, they're going to get this plant-based message and I think yeah. they want it. It's just <laughs> they a matter. Want it. Yeah. It's a barriers. <laughs> yeah. So this is another genre of patient that I've really been interested in recently. But anyway, I just wanted to share that with you. <laughs> see, <laughs> see where you are in your, maybe I'll talk to you again in maybe two or three years and say, okay, tell me about. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh my goodness. Because people are so knowledgeable now too. They have so much information. Mm -hmm. um, oh, only with five minutes because I know you're busy. Mm -hmm. Tell me one other thing as far as when you become, um, well, let's just say, or maybe a better way to do this. If you had magical powers, right? And you could just wave a magic wand, what would be the one thing that you would do? Um, maybe in medicine or in just culture in general, but like what would be the one thing that you feel would just be the most powerful step or maybe magic wand make things happen? I think this is not a superpower I've ever seen, but <laughs> if this could be a superpower, it'd be really cool where you just wave a wand and everyone's barriers come down and they're willing to actually listen and understand. Because what I notice is a lot of the times people have so many barriers that they don't actually want to listen. They want to argue where they want you to listen to their points and that's it and they did not come in to understand. And I feel like that could not just like make more people go plant-based, but in general, I feel like as a society, we could be much better mm -hmm. and understanding and compassionate towards other people's problems and lifestyles and their hardships and struggles if we just took those barriers down and were like, okay, I'm gonna try to understand this person or this scenario and leave my own bias out for a minute. And I think mm -hmm. that'd be really cool. Yeah, it's, it's like those people you have those conversations with, and when they're speaking, you're like, you didn't even listen to me. You were just already yeah. pre-formulating what you yeah. were going to say. Exactly. Um, yeah, I yeah. totally get that. That would be really, that's a really cool superpower, though. <laughs> I don't, we'll have to work on that one. But yeah, yeah right. I, I, <laughs> Imagine being present. I mean, it almost is a superpower. If you have the superpower of presence in the in when you're, conversing with someone Absolutely. and really make them feel listened to and mm -hmm. connected at that moment and saying you right now are the most important thing to me. And so I think that is touching upon your superpower risk, but I, I like that. That's awesome. Yeah. That's a really cool answer. I will. I really like that. I'm I've never been asked this question before. And it's funny because I've heard other people ask this question on podcasts to other people. And I ah. always thought of like these weird things. Yeah. <laughs> now that you asked me, my answer was so different than what I thought I would have said. But I think what you said is very insightful and needed, though. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, absolutely. 100%. I mean, especially in today's world of everything going on. 
Yeah. Absolutely. Well, my friend, thank you so much for the time and what a delightful conversation. And I wish you so well in all your studies. And if you ever need anything, let me know. Um, but I'm super proud to, to know you and I think you're going to do amazing things. Well, thank you so much for having me here for your podcast and for everything you're doing. And I'm excited that we have gotten in touch and I'll Absolutely. stay in touch with you. Absolutely. This is awesome. So <laughs> thanks everyone for listening. Thank <laughs> you.